Marvellous. Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, I love the fact you're doing Messy Church. I think with my Argentine connection, I like to call it Lionel Messy Church. And it should feature lots of um, mazy dribbles and stepovers and wonderful goals um, and all that. But it's, um, it's a wonderful privilege to share with you this morning. Um, Lindsay sends her apologies. She's got a dog. If you don't know me, like they said earlier, my name's Bill, and um, I was part of this church for many, many years as a as a teenager. Um, and it's great to be back today. It really does feel like home from home. And um, me and Lindsay, we've been um, we've been in Argentina, living and working there for the last year and a half. Um, hence the the uh, the Argentine connection. I made the Messy Church, and um, we've been out there um, working with the Church Mission Society. Um, and with another organisation called Habitat for Humanity, doing lots of different stuff. We've been working in a, in a local church there, which is going through quite a time of transition, helping with sort of the, the life there. Um, I've been doing lots of work with homeless people, um, and also we've been doing lots of work in some very poor areas of Buenos Aires, where we've been um, helping people to be able to build or do upgrades on their houses, to be able to kind of live in houses which are safe and secure for people to to live in. So very much trying to put the, the gospel into action. And I think it's fair to say that um, me and Lindsay have got much to be thankful for this, this church for in terms of over the last year. We've, we've felt very loved and supported by you guys. Um, and it's been great that even though we've been going through quite a time of, um, um, I suppose, an amazing experience, but actually quite tough at the same time. Um, but knowing actually there's people like you guys, sorry, like you guys here, sort of loving us and supporting us has, has meant a lot during the last year and a half. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Even though we've been through great sort of challenge, we've also known great blessing for you guys. But today, um, we're starting a new series of, um, of words here, a new kind of topic, which is going to take us through who knows how many weeks. And uh, I've got the privilege of kicking us off today. And this, um, this series is called The Presence of God. And so we're going to be looking at this theme which runs through the whole Bible, the presence of God. And I suppose it is one of these big kind of overarching themes which runs like a golden thread. It runs through the whole of the Bible from the beginning to the end. You'll constantly find it there. And so we're going to be thinking about that today. And hopefully, as I kick us off today, I can put down some foundations um, which we can then build upon as we go through sort of the rest of, rest of this time. So if you have a Bible... That's always a good place to start. And if you'd like to turn to um, Genesis, which is right at the beginning of the Bible. And I think we're in Genesis 2, I believe. No, I tell you, we're in Genesis 1. That's just next door to 2, so that's all right. We haven't gone too far away. Great, and we're going to be reading from verse 26. And um, I'm actually reading from a bilingual Bible, so I must make sure I read it in English, um, unless any of you guys do happen to speak Spanish. Great, so Genesis 1, verse 26, and it says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that, it was, all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So I suppose in understanding this concept of the presence of God, in understanding this theme of the presence, presence of God, um, the reason why I've brought us back to Genesis is because I think it's really important to understand what it was like in the beginning. What was the original human condition? And I would say that that, that original human condition was in the presence of God. It was with God. So let's just think about, okay, what was God's intention for the world? What's his intention for all that he was created? And I suppose more importantly, what was his intention for us as humanity? So in the opening pages of scripture, in the opening pages of the Bible, we see God creating the earth, creating the universe, creating the, the earth, the sky, the birds, the animals, the sea, everything in it. He creates them for his good pleasure. He creates them to give honour to him. And it's all good. God, God says it's good. And it honours him. Psalm 19, it says this of, of creation. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. So creation is all there for God's glory. And in the, in the creation narrative, we see God creating Adam and Eve as the first humans, as kind of representing humanity. But what is unique about um, these guys, what's un- unique about Adam and Eve and unique about humanity, is that it's made in God's image. We've read just a moment ago in Genesis how humanity was made in God's image. Humans are unique because we have the likeness of our creator in us, were made in God's image. And this could mean many different things, and this is actually something which theologians and um, people much cleverer than I um, have debated about for many, many years. What does, this, what does this look like? What is this image of God that's in us? And some might say that it's actually a physical resemblance, a physical likeness, that somehow we, we appear to look like God. Others might say it's a, it's a spiritual thing, it's an emotional thing, it's a... It's a mental thing, you know, like being able to think or to reason. Um, others, others might say that it's, um, it's the ability to have free will. The fact that we're able to make free and rational choices, that's what it means to be in God's, God's image. And I think my personal opinion is that there's probably some truth in all of that. Mm. Um, but the most important thing is, is to remember that because we have God's image in us, because we are made in God's image, we are unique in creation. Um, we can have a relationship with God in the same way that my parents' dog, as great as he is, can't have a relationship with God. 
You know, he can't have, have a, a saving relationship with God. We are unique in creation in that we are able to have a relationship with God. But what's the significance of the image of God in, in Adam and Eve? And I believe that they were made in God's image because they were made to be in relationship with God and to be, and to be intimate with God. This, um, this image in them was a mark of having the presence of God with them. God was with them in a really tangible way. And I think that is the significance of God's image in us. The fact that we can know his presence, we can know um, intimacy with him, we can, know, we can be in relationship with him. And I think this idea of the, the presence of God with humanity, this idea of the presence of God with Adam and Eve as it was in the beginning, I think it's really, really vital. And I'd go, to, I'd go as far to say that the presence of God with us, the presence of God with humanity, is, is actually what it truly means to be human. What it means to truly be alive is to have the presence of God. And that's what is marking Adam and Eve as distinct from all the rest of creation. And I think the fact that we, as we read in, in Genesis, that um, we can read about how um, in through all the steps of creation, so all the bits just before we, we read out, how God made something and he said, it's good. He made something else and he said, it's good. But then after he'd made humanity, after he made Adam and Eve, he said, it is very good. And I think that is kind of, again, signifies that there is a specialness, there's a uniqueness about us because we have God's image in us. It's what it means to be fully human. So in the garden, what was, what was the purpose of this presence? What was the purpose of this intimacy, this partnership that um, that the first humans enjoyed with God. And we can read, and we read, it about, we read about it today, that God gave them a commission. God gave them a commission to fulfill. And that's this, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so we see how the ones who are made in God's image, the ones who knew his presence, they were to rule the earth on behalf of God and in partnership with God. The presence of God meant that they were to be in, in collaboration with God. I think it's interesting that today, um, sort of in the, in sort of, in the business world, there's, there's loads all said about collaborative leadership and all these kind of styles of collaborative leadership. But God was doing it years ago. It's, it's nothing new. God has, God has been there and has done it. So, so humans were, were designed and built and commissioned to collaborate with God. And that's what the presence of God enabled them to do, to collaborate with him. So the presence of God was the empowerment that would enable them and enable humanity to rule the earth and to fill the rest of the earth with God's presence. I think with the creation narrative, I think it's important that we remember that God had placed Adam and Eve in a garden. In, you know, it was uh, described as a garden. This garden was amazing. This garden was like a, uh, a little piece of heaven on earth. It was a pretty cool real estate to be, to be in. Heaven on earth. 
But the fact that there was a commission to go and subdue the rest of the earth does suggest that outside of this garden, maybe probably everything wasn't quite as it, as it should be. The fact that there was a commission to go and subdue the rest of the earth suggests that outside of the garden, that there was a degree of chaos out there and there was a de- degree of evil out there which needed subduing. It needed God's people to fill it with God's presence because there was, it wasn't how, um, I suppose, God wanted it to be. And I suppose also maybe that helps explain why that the, the serpent, which of course we know represents the devil, was able to come into the garden to tempt the first, the first humans. So the world needed subduing, the reign and rule of God needed extending, and so the borders of this garden, this piece of heaven on earth, this place which was knew the presence of God, it needed extending to fill the whole earth. And God had chosen to use humanity, those made in his image, those who know his presence, to perform this task. So it's through relationship, through intimacy, and through knowing the presence of God that the borders would be extended and that the whole earth would know God's reign. And as the Bible says later on, how the, how the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the whole earth, it's through humanity and those known his presence. But what happened next? As we carry on with the story, what happens to this garden? What happens in this garden? What happens next? And we know, of course, that humanity was tempted by the devil to choose its own way. It was tempted to rebel against the perfect plan and will of God. And we know that because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, that sin and pain and death that they entered into the world, and they became um, sort of realities that we all face in the world today. We can see how the image of God that was in Adam and Eve. It became, it became marred. It became distorted. It was like, if you can imagine, a, a dirty, it was a dirty mirror. It's like a dirty mirror, which is all smudged. And so that whilst there is an image there, you can see that there's something in the mirror. You can't see the image clear enough to be able to see actually what the image is. And I think it was the same with, with Adam and Eve, that this image of God in them had become marred, become dark, dirty, the weather. Yeah, there is something, there is something more than just me, but they couldn't see what it, what it was, because this mirror had become, become dirty and smeared. And so, the image, I suppose the image of God was, was forgotten about, the image of God was, was lost, and the intimacy that humans enjoyed with God was, yeah, was lost, and this commission to go and fill the earth with God's presence was, was lost as well and was forgotten about. And I think that often when we think of this, uh, this, this story and this narrative of how creation fell, and humanity's rebellion of God, we can often think about it as something being distant, as being some kind of like abstract um, image way in the past, and that, that that was Adam and Eve, that's what they did, and yeah, we live in the effects of what they did. But actually, Adam and Eve represent all of humanity. Adam and Eve represent us here today. And, our, and all of us, in our own way, have rebelled against God. All of us have chosen to go our, our own way. And all of us, this image of God in us, has been, has been lost, has been distorted. But, but we know that 
that the good news that we know today is that God, he, he didn't want his creation, he didn't want those made in his image to stay in this state of separation. He didn't want them to stay in this state of, of sin. And of course, you know, that's the, that's the gospel. You know, that's the, that's the Easter story that we were celebrating last week. That God gave his only son for us. That whilst we were still dead in our sins, God sent Jesus that we might know no forgiveness. That Jesus gave his life for many. And that's amazing grace. That's the gospel that we know. That's the gospel that we have, uh, have accepted. The gospel we celebrate as Christians. That's the love of God. God couldn't leave his creation and those he made to be separated from him, away from his presence. So Jesus came as our saviour and he died and rose again for our sake so that this image in us could be restored. So we see how in the death and in the resurrection and the victory of Jesus, we're we're not only just saved from our, our sins and saved from death, and that's amazing, that's fantastic, and we celebrate that, but also the image of God in us is restored. The image of us is restored intimacy and the presence that we can know as, as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, is restored. Our inheritance as sons and daughters of God is, um, is restored. But also we see how through the victory of Jesus, we see how um, the commission, the original commission that Adam and Eve was given, we see how that was restored as well. So that commission, of course, to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it, that was restored. In Luke 19, um, verse 10, it says that Jesus came to seek and save all that was lost. So Jesus came to seek and save all that was lost. And so, yes, the image of God in us, it had been lost But Jesus came to restore it. The knowledge of the presence of God in us, the presence of God with his people, that had been lost. But Jesus came to restore it. And that commission for God's people, for his beloved, for us, to to go into all the earth and to fill the, the earth with the presence of glory of God, that had been lost too. But Jesus came to restore it. So when we become Christians, we know that this image of God is restored, that this dirty mirror, you know, it's wiped clean, and now we can see clearly, the image is clear in the mirror. We know that we are sons and daughters of God, and that we know his presence with us, and that we're here on earth with a purpose. Our intimacy with God has been restored, and it's amazing to think how the, the victory of Jesus in the resurrection, it's our victory as well. Jesus' victory is our victory. His victory is our victory because we have been reclaimed to then go and reclaim the world. It's a victory which we share. It's a victory that we know with, with, with Christ. We have been reclaimed so we can reclaim the world with God's presence. And it is amazing to think how this, this process of reclaiming the world it's, um, it's something which God is perfectly capable of doing on his own. 
God doesn't necessarily need us. He's perfectly able and perfectly powerful to do it on his own. But he chooses to work through us. He chooses to partner with us. And to me, that just shows the amazing heart that God has. God has a heart for relationship, a heart for intimacy, a heart for collaboration with us. That's the heart of God. It's, it's God's presence which empowers us to do that. Even though God could do it himself, he chooses to partner with us. It's funny that when I was um, thinking about this, this theme of the, the presence of God, I was thinking a little bit, okay, what, what could be like a really good analogy of kind of what it what it might look like, what it might feel like. And um, and I kind of, I, I just thought of those, um, those rare occasions when I've been in the same room as somebody really famous. I don't know, has anyone ever been in the same room as somebody really famous? Anybody? Chris, who was it? Um, Les Ferdinand. Oh, Les Ferdinand, QPR legend. Uh, I won, one thing. Sir Clive Woodward. Very good. Anyone else? Sean. Sean. Oh, that's more impressive. What? Okay. Anyone else? The Queen. The Queen. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. I um I was once when I was on a school trip to the Houses of Parliament. We were walking. We were kind of being given our tour, and we were in the same room as Margaret Thatcher. And um, and it was really weird. I don't know if this was a similar experience for you guys with these these famous people, but it felt like everywhere that you were in this room, you were aware that there was this famous person. Just sorry. <laughs> Malevolent presence, according to Sam. But um, yeah, it was kind of very weird because it was just like it felt like you know this really famous person was there and she was there in the room and everywhere you looked, you were aware of where she was. Another time, I had a very um, a very weird experience when I went. I was at the theatre and um, I went to the toilet at the interval. And as I was um, doing what you do in the toilet, um, I noticed that standing next to me was a very hairy man, and it wasn't David Donoghue. It was, in fact, um, it was, in fact, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was standing in the urinal next to me. And it was, it was, it was the weirdest two minutes I've ever had in my life, um, because Rowan was was just there, and I was like, it's the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> What do I do? Well, I was just aware of his presence just in the, in, the, in the room. And maybe the presence of God is a bit like that. Maybe. Maybe. God, Rowan Williams. <laughs> well, it's an experience I thought I'd never have. Um, but let's think now. Is how, how do we welcome the presence of, of God? How do we welcome it into our life? How do we cultivate the presence of, of God in our life? Because I think we've, I've talked quite a lot about some quite big kind of theological ideas, um, talked about some quite big kind of big themes. But I think that um, theology, and I love theology, I love to study the Bible, but unless it's got like a practical outworking for us, it's, uh, it's a bit pointless, to be honest. Um, so let's just think about how, yeah, like I said, how, how what does it mean to have God's presence in our life today, and how practically can we go about um, this commission that God has given us to fill the earth with His presence? I think the starting point for co- cultivating the presence of God in our lives is to accept that as Christians, God is alive in us. 
that the presence of God does live in us. Also the Bible say, greater is he that is within me than he who is in the world. We know that God is with us. What's one of the key names that Jesus has um, in the Bible? It's Emmanuel. And that means God is with us. God is with us. And we need to daily remind ourselves of that truth, that God is with us, that the presence of God is with us. There's a wonderful story of a, of a French monk who lived in the 17th century. Anybody alive then? Anybody? David? No? Okay. Um, and his name was Brother Lawrence. And it's a story you might have heard of. There's a, a very famous book about his life called um, Practicing the, the Practice of the Presence of God. And he was famous in his time. He was a celebrity in his time. Not because he was a great writer or a great leader or a great politician or any of the things which I suppose most people um, in that time would be famous for doing. He was famous because he knew the presence of God in a really deep and a really powerful and a really profound way. And people would come from all over Europe to visit him and to hear um, his wisdom. Despite the fact that his chief task in the monastery was the cooking of the food for the other monks and the washing of the dishes. But what Brother Lawrence knew, and you can read about this in the, in the accounts of his life, is that, that in everything that he did, God was present with him. So in the preparing of his food, in the washing of the dishes, God was with him. And therefore, everything became a task for the glory of the God. He'd wash his dishes for the glory of God as an act of love for God, as an act of service for his fellow, his fellow brothers. And because of this awareness of God in all things, he just knew the presence of God really powerfully. And that presence of God was present for other people because of his deep, profound um, sort of daily encounters with God. He likened, he likened washing the dishes to being on his knees with prayer. He saw no difference between them because it was all for God's glory. It was all in the presence of God. And maybe this attitude of constantly being aware of God's presence, of constantly being aware of the closeness that God has with us always is summed up in, um, in these famous verses from Proverbs when it says this trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight so in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight that's the attitude that we need to have to be cultivating the presence of God in us the more ways in our life we can acknowledge God, the more um, ways we can acknowledge and be aware of his blessings to all, towards us, the more aware we'll become of his presence with us. And I think acknowledging this involves thankfulness, um, which is why I think it's a great practice to, to um, as the old song says, to count your blessings, name them one by one. Because that is, again, it's acknowledging the presence and the blessings of God. It's great to, to say grace before a meal because it's thanking God for all the blessings that he's, he's given us. And things like that acknowledges God's presence with, with us. Because we know that every good and perfect gift 
is from God for us. We should always acknowledge it and be thankful. I think we can also see how the deeper that our faith goes, the more we learn to trust God in our, in our, with our daily needs, both big and small. Or as, as uh, Jesus taught his disciples, you know, give us today our daily bread. And the more we learn to trust God for our daily needs, the more we acknowledge um, his provision for us, the more we acknowledge his presence and his working for us. And also really importantly, our prayer lives make us more aware of God's presence. I don't know about you, but often in my mind I think of um, prayer as being a daily discipline. Almost sometimes a bit like a chore, a daily chore that you need to, you need to do. And whilst, yes, I think there is a degree that prayer, you know, I think it is a daily discipline. But actually, I think prayer is, is something deeper than that. Prayer is our expression of partnership with God. Prayer is our expression of collaboration with God. It's our, our means of communicating with God. It's our means of spending time with God, of hanging out with God. And so as our relationship through prayer develops with God, we do become more aware of his presence. I think often in our prayer life, we... We present God our kind of our bullet points of our kind of of things that we need or things that other people need or things we're worried about. And yeah, you know, there is a place for that. You know, Jesus Jesus does teach that. But actually prayer also is just being with God, communicating with God, and sharing intimacy with Him. Kind of knowing His presence. And that's what happens when we pray. David in Psalm 16 says this, I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So that real sense of of David as he prays here is acknowledging, he's putting God beside him saying, God, you are close to me. Then also really powerfully, when we meet together with fellow believers, like today, God's presence is with us. And we often experience God's presence in really profound and deep ways. It was amazing today how God was speaking. With all those words that were coming, God was speaking to us. God was speaking to his people. And that's because God is present. And there is an amazing thing that happens in our corporate gatherings where we know and experience God's blessing and God's presence. Which is why the Bible tells us not to give up meeting together. Because we know God's presence. Jesus tells his disciples that when two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. And that is our experience as we come together as church, in small groups, whatever it is. There's there's an experience of God's blessing that we have together in the corporate. But also, as we've already, um, as God has already spoken to us about today, is that there are times when we don't necessarily feel the closeness of God. There's times of of pain and uncertainty, and frankly, times where we all say to God, where are you? That's, um, That's something we all experience. But the truth is that Jesus has said he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. 
That's a truth that Jesus has spoken over our life. He's spoken over your life. He'll never leave you and never forsake you. And though, yeah, there are times where God feels distant. It feels like there isn't that closeness that we once knew. The truth is, is that God is still there. God is still present because we know that truth that Jesus said that is that he'll never leave us and forsake us. That truth, the truth of God, what God has spoken to be true is more powerful than our feelings. It's more powerful than our emotions. Jesus will never leave us and never forsake us. His name is Emmanuel. He's with us. And and, you know, may, and it is hard, but you know, even in those times where it feels that God isn't there, we can still say in faith, knowing the truth of what Jesus has spoken, and say, you, know, you, are, you are with me. Whereas you know, Ben read out earlier, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in those experiences, God is with us. So just as we, as we finish, how can I play my part in this great commission, how can I play my part in this commission of, of um, blessing the whole world with God's presence? I think it's really interesting to, to note that how that commission that God gave the first humans to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and how it seems that um, the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples at the end of his earthly ministry seems to has the same echo. You know, go into all the on, into all the earth, heal the sick, preach the gospel. You know, it's this whole sense of kind of there is a blessing here that you've experienced. You've experienced the blessing because of my presence, which is not just for you; it's for the whole earth. And that's the same we see in the commission in Genesis. It's the same we see in the commission of Jesus. I actually believe it's it's the same commission to bless the whole earth. So how, how do we work that out? It is a huge task. When you think about um, sort of just the task of the, the, the evangelization of this nation or the evangelization of this, of this town, it is a ginormous task. It is overwhelming. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of, of, of spending some time with, um, with some... Um, some really amazing church leaders who essentially are, are kind of trying to build together kind of national strategies of how we can evangelize this nation, how we can plant church plant into this, this whole nation. And it's mind-boggling. It's, it, you're talking about numbers of millions of people which you can't get your head around because the task is so great. So where do we fit into that? Well, the answer is it starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. If we are to see this day when the glory of, of, of God, when the knowledge of his glory covers the whole earth, when the whole earth is aware of God's, God's presence, it starts by us first choosing and saying, yes, God, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your glory. It starts with us doing that. And then becoming aware that, yeah, we are carriers of God's blessing. So your workplace is blessed because you go there each day and carry God's, um, God's presence there. There's an expression, which a little phrase that we have in, um, in England, which says, it's like everything he touched turns to gold. 
you know, which refers to somebody who, like Sam, who's just brilliant at everything and just whatever they do just seems to be successful. Is that true, Sam? <laughs> and, um, but actually, I feel that maybe we should have a little expression about us as believers, us as Christians, that everything we touch turns divine because we carry the divine presence of God with us. So your workplace is blessed, your family, your home is blessed because you bring the presence of God into, that situ- into those situations. And, you know, and I, I truly believe that this nation can be changed, this world can be changed as Christians and as churches can take hold of this, this great commission again to bring the presence of God to everywhere they go. And it's interesting to note that, that God, in, uh, in Genesis, he doesn't seem to give Adam and Eve um, kind of steps of how to lead people to faith. He doesn't seem to give them a kind of a church parting strategy. He doesn't seem to give them a big kind of itinerary of things they need to do. It seems the only tool he gives them is, is his presence and intimacy with him. And, and whilst I think there is great that we have got all these tools that we can use, that they are, they are great and they're brilliant and they're helpful and we should be using them, but the most important thing that we have is God's presence, our relationship with God. And if, uh, if all the things we're doing don't come out of a sense of relationship with God, a sense of knowing God's presence, everything we do will, will fall flat on its face because the presence of God is the chief tool God with us, Emmanuel with us. That's what Jesus came for, so that we could be with, with God. So the presence of God it is that empowerment in us. It has a purpose with us. It had a purpose in the beginning. It has a purpose in us now. And that purpose brings with it a great commission to fill the earth with his presence and that's what it was in the beginning. That great commission was given in the beginning. Jesus reaffirms it. And God, you know, he reaffirms it with us today. That's what we're called to do. We are blessed that we might be a blessing to the whole world. We're blessed that we might be a blessing to Basildon and to your families and to your workplaces. And the presence of God in us, that's what it truly means to be alive. That's what it truly means to be human. So, let's go from here. Let's, uh, let's remember we are blessed to be a blessing. Amen.